Rodgers takes, fakes the handoff, looks to throw, lofts it down the middle. Lazard's got and he's gone. He is gone. Touchdown. The Packers with a dagger. 31 to 18. Allen Lazard, 58 yards. Here's defense, four man front, dropping breeze. Breeze dropping at the pass. Oh, it's intercepted. Picked off by Devin White to the 40. Shoves a guy out of his way. Inside the 30, Devin White down the sideline. Mr. Referee, yes. Sean Hockley, touchdown, Tampa Bay. Touchdown, Buccaneers. Tom Brady pounds his way right behind Ryan Jensen in the box. Lead 29 to 20. Lamar Jackson back to throw. Guns it into the end zone. Intercepted. Two yards deep in the end zone. Intercepted by Terry Johnson. And he brings it out. And he's still on the run. He may go all the way. He's at the Baltimore 40. The 30 gets a block at the 20. Welcome back to Coach's Corner Conference Championship Preview Edition. We have two fantastic games on tap this Sunday, and I'm very much looking forward to breaking them both down. So without further ado, let's get to the first game in the conference championship doubleheader. This is the 3.05 traditional time slot on Fox. Green Bay Packers are three and a half point favorites at home against the surging Buccaneers. 51 and a half is your total. Uh, in terms of weather, it's looking like mid-20s possible snow. That's something that we're going to have to monitor uh, as we get closer to game time. I mean, unless there's absolutely blizzard-like conditions, I don't think it's too big of a factor, but again, something to keep an eye on. And these two teams met all the way back on October 18th. The Bucks drubbed the Green Bay 38-10 to uh, at home after falling behind 10-0. I think that game actually does hold some significance because the Green Bay Packers still, to me, have not overcome that hurdle of being able to stop an avalanche, and the Bucks are a team that can really get the ball rolling downhill once they take command of the game. So uh, right off the bat, these are one of the teams that qualifies as a team that can overwhelm Green Bay, whereas I didn't think the Rams um, fit that billing last week. Um, I'm going to break down the NFC game a little bit differently than the AFC game f for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think the opponents that the NFC teams faced – uh, meaning the Rams and the Saints, are both comparable enough to this week's opponents that really studying last week's game has a lot of merit. 
Whereas, you know, the Chiefs taking on the Browns, the Browns are very different than Buffalo. Plus, that game was totally thrown off script with the Mahomes injury. I think that's almost like a a throwout, uh, start from scratch, they survive type deal. And with the Bills, their win against the Ravens, the Ravens couldn't be any different, more different than the Chiefs. Plus, that was a bizarre weather game. That was just a strange script. So I'm going to be looking a little bit more towards... Uh, just those teams as a whole and the matchup, whereas in the NFC game, I'm really going to focus on the details of last week's performances to sort of find some hidden value. And in horse racing handicapping, uh, one style of handicapping is called trip handicapping, and, and that's kind of what I uh, tend to be pretty good at. And what that means is you look at the horse's last race and you try to find excuses for why he ran bad or reasons why he actually didn't run as good as it looks on paper. You know, the bad version of that is called dirtied up. Let's say the inside of of a racetrack was super deep and muddy and the horse was stuck on the inside the whole time around. Sure, in the racing form, it's going to look like he ran a bad race, but really his form is just dirtied up, quote unquote, because he got the, the, the shitty end of the draw there. Whereas let's say a speed horse in a different on a different day, uh, won a race from start to finish, but maybe that day the track was extremely speed favoring. That's a horse I'm looking to fade next out. So that's kind of been a bread and butter of my sports handicapping uh, for a long time as well. I kind of like to evaluate their last performance, uh, find where they're potentially under the radar compared to public perception, and a team that is maybe uh, looking a little better on paper and in the eyes of the public than what really happened on the football field. And I'm going to use the Packer-Bucks game to really go back to that uh, style of handicapping. So the first thing we have to do is really get through this Packers-Rams game. You know, Green Bay won 32-18. On the surface, it seems pretty comfortable. They played a solid football game. But I want to break down a few sequences in the game, highlight some areas that were extremely high variance that if it went slightly another way, uh, we could be talking about a Rams-Bucks conference championship game. So opening sequence, Rams take the football. They kind of look pretty sharp, actually. You know, they're moving well. Uh, they're getting some movement up front. The Packers defensively were not showing a lot of urgency, and that was kind of alarming to me. Uh, you know, a home playoff game, I really want everyone locked in. I want the communication Um, extremely elite. They had a bye. They should have been totally sharp. And the Rams got into a third and manageable. Now they went to a three by one set. For some reason, Green Bay couldn't communicate how to line up, which is inexcusable first drive of the game. Luckily, they get a tipped ball because they had a receiver wide open for a first down. Rams would have extended that drive, but the ball was batted at the line of scrimmage. That's the first play in the game that I really thought on the rewatch was actually very significant. Now, the Packers' first offensive possession, they have some mild success on the ground, but you can tell that Rodgers is slightly off with his accuracy. You know, that's rare for him. That's his bread and butter. But a, a few throws a little bit off the mark early on, and that, that kind of hung with him throughout the game, especially in the intermediate window. He was okay with the deep ball. Checkdowns were okay as well. But intermediate throws, especially um, from the hash to the wide side of the field, were off for a majority of the game. 
Uh, so we're still on the Packers' first drive here, and bear with me. This is going to be a little bit tedious, but I think it's very significant in terms of identifying next week's winner. Now, this first drive was penalty and really chunk play aided. It wasn't a traditional move the chains type drive. They do get down into the red zone, uh, and they fail to convert on a goal-to-go situation, which is a win for the Rams defensively, obviously. A lot of these games are won in the red zone, and it was the first sign, again, to me that Green Bay uh, it maybe is not as super elite as we've come to expect. Now, the Rams' second drive of the game. Better answer now, right? You took the ball first. You're not going to get the ball at halftime. You cannot afford to get too far behind in this football game. They have a really nice drive going. The Rams introduce Wildcat, which ends up being successful as the game goes on. Uh, They introduce Empty. They sort of get all the Packers' checks out of the way and see what their answers are going to be. Um, Definitely winning the line of scrimmage. They're creating some chunk plays. Uh, They bog down a little bit, but get into a fourth and inches at midfield. Now, they were going to go for it 100%, you know, and I think they were going to convert the way they were winning up front. They get a false start. So that's basically a critical error that's as good as a turnover, except it's unforced. You know, uh, unforced errors I can't give credit to Green Bay for. It's not like they caused a strip sack or made a pick. This was a false start that essentially uh, wound up in a turnover. So the Rams had to punt once it got to fourth and six. And Green Bay gets the ball back. Uh, Rams defense is a little bit tired now. And this is the part where you can tell that Aaron Donald is not himself. Uh, He starts loafing, which actually is himself. So that wouldn't be any reason to to think something was up. But you could tell he actually was favoring that rib cage. He couldn't get off the line of scrimmage well at all. He actually kind of starts tapping out. I don't think he should have played much longer in the game. He was a major, major vulnerability to them in the run game. Uh, you know, the Packers are now starting to run the ball at will right down their throat between the tackles. Uh, luckily for the Rams, though, the quarter and winds, winds down and they get to the quarter break. That gives everyone a chance to sort of take a deep breath while the drive is still going. And they had a chance to, you know, gather themselves a bit. Now, there's about to be a third and seven upcoming um, Green Bay, you could tell, is getting a little bit frustrated. Rodgers is a little frustrated. Uh, Devontae Adams' body language is not great at this point. Third and seven upcoming on the outskirts of field goal range. And Aaron Donald takes an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty uh, between plays in the backfield with a little scrum with an offensive lineman. Uh, again, an inexcusable, critical error. Uh, nothing I can give Green Bay credit for. Uh, this yields a first down. Packers punch it in. You can't give them that many chances. So right off the bat, we're, we're 10-zip, and uh, Green Bay is is on their way now. I'm sorry, 9-zip. I believe they missed the extra point. They either missed this extra point or the next one. I'm not sure, but that's relatively insignificant to the point I'm trying to make. So let, let's just say it's 10-0 uh, Packers at this stage. Rams get the ball back. Again, they go three and out. Uh, They had a blown protection, or else, again, another drive that looked promising after their first down play. Packers follow up with six against a tired defense. Uh, Now the game is kind of off the rails for the Rams. Somewhere along the line there, the Rams kick a field goal. It's 16-3, late second quarter. 
Um, scoreboard shows that Green Bay is in control, but if you're really watching the ins and outs of the game, it's been just a few critical plays here and there that, that have made the difference. Um, so at 16-3, the Rams now face a critical drive at the end of the second quarter. It's one of those situations where you have to block the other team from possibly doubling up, and you really have to get points to get back in the football game. They have a long drive. Their confidence is really starting to grow on offense. Uh, they punch it in with 29 seconds left to make it 16-10. And now with 29 seconds, under no circumstance can you allow Green Bay to tack on cheap points at the end of this half, especially with them starting with the football in the third quarter. Uh, I thought Brandon Staley, now the head coach of the Chargers, um, made a really big mistake by playing zone coverage here against Rodgers. Uh, he had to recognize that their front four was not going to be getting home with Donald, especially at 50%. I would have liked to, to pressure here and at least force some underneath throws to, to sort of keep everything in front of me, rally to the football. I don't need to drop into zone coverage, let Rodgers scramble and play backyard football down the field. Anyway, that's what Staley decided to do. Uh, they hit a couple chunk plays, get all the way down into field goal range and kick a buzzer beater to go up 19-10 at half. That that two-score buffer, I think, is huge for Green Bay's relaxation and confidence at halftime. You know, all is well. We get the ball. We're up nine points. I, I think a, a hold there, keeping it a, a one-score game, would have been just huge for the Rams. And, again, just a miscalculation that I'm not going to give Green Bay too much credit for. Now we start the third quarter. Packers hit a 50-yard chunk run. Uh, they're really getting the ground game going. They slam it in, go for two, don't get it. I think it was probably too early to go for two, but that's a different story. Um, any, anyway, it's 25-10 Green Bay, and this is going to force the Rams to play from behind and to play absolutely perfect football the rest of the game, which they were really not built to do. However, they do start to get it rolling again. They get the game to 25-18 after a pretty nifty two-point conversion on that sort of hook and ladder swing screen, which was a really neat play. Um, 25-18, they eventually even get a stop. Uh, they switch to man-free. They were playing a lot of zone coverage in the first half. I think they realized they weren't getting home, so they added that fifth rusher. They played man coverage, and all of a sudden defensively, the tides have turned now. You can tell with Green Bay, it's going to be kind of chunk plays or bust. They're not going to just nickel and dime them, <clears throat> nickel and dime them down the field at this point. Uh, Ten minutes left in the ball game. Rams get the ball back down 25-18. Uh, this is, you know, the drive that's going to define their season. Can they march down the field in Lambeau and tie the football game? They start this drive with tempo, which worked for them the majority of the game. Uh, they're rolling. The sideline is really starting to get amped. Everyone believes. But again, because of this deficit they set, you have to be perfect. And uh, on a first down play, they just went a little too fast. Reynolds wasn't set in the slot. Uh, they had him wide open for in the curl window for about an eight-yard gain and went through his hands because he didn't get his head around quickly enough. The timing of the play was just off. All of a sudden, second and ten is a totally different ball game than second and two. The Packers are able to sort of pin their ears back, and sure enough, they get the sack. They took advantage of Whitworth all day long on the left side with just some speed to power move, some long arms collapsing the pocket. 
So, you know, the Rams needed to stay balanced. They couldn't be in obvious passing downs or else they were going to get exploited. And Goff, Goff, you have to give credit. He played a very tough football game, but he was not overly mobile. And as soon as he felt contact, it was like it was a wrap. He was going down. So have to punt. Green Bay gets the ball back. They basically need three first downs to to win the game. And these four-minute offense scenarios are something I really love to evaluate. I think championship football teams finish drives here and and win football games. They get into a second and – I think it was second and eight and fumble the football on the exchange. They tried to run a zone read play with Dylan. I think Dylan's a gap scheme guy. I don't know why you're running that play with him, but that's besides the point. Anyway, the ball is on the ground now, inside the Packers 30. Sure enough, Rodgers, Johnny on the spot, picks up the ball, actually falls forward for a couple-yard gain to keep them in third and manageable and keep the drive alive. Again, a super high-variance play. If that fumble goes the Rams' way, who knows what happens. Anyway, that gets them into a third and three. They call timeout, and then they convert on a very difficult uh, sort of a – I don't want to say a bubble screen. It was more of a quick out to Valdez-Scantling. He was corralled in the backfield but made some some nice moves and surged forward for the first down, and that kind of restabilized the flow of the game. You know, the Rams were going to be forced to have another two minutes churn off the clock. They're down a full score still, and Green Bay was able to extend the drive. At this point, they hit the deep ball to Lazard on play action. Uh, home run shot, obviously, 32-18, two-score game. Rams have to throw now, and they're not going to be able to protect well enough to get the job done. So that was kind of how that game ended for me. I didn't think the Packers uh, played as well as 32-18 would indicate as we have gone over. So right after the game, in in real time, I actually thought that, that Green Bay played a really good football game. I bet the Packers, so... With those rose-colored glasses on, I, I was sort of happy with their performance. It wasn't until the rewatch, I watched the All-22 and uh, the condensed game, that I saw some of these hidden sequences that could have gone one way or the other that, to me, downgraded Green Bay's performance. In horse racing terminology, that's called dressed up. So to me, the Packers are a little dressed up off this win. Now, that means nothing if the Bucks stink. So the ne- my next task was to rewatch that game. And again, in real time, kind of another false read. You know, it, it seemed like, first of all, the, the Bucks beat the Saints 30-20 to 20 just to get that out of the way. Uh, they covered as two-and-a-half-ish point dogs. I was on the Saints before the game. Day of the game, they scratched Taysom Hill. That actually got me off my bet. I cashed out for and took a significant loss to do so, only because... I think what he provides in short yardage and in multiple phases of the game is really big and not having any idea that he was even a threat to be to miss the game, I wouldn't have made the bet that I did on the Saints. Now, you're going to probably want to smack me around if you stuck with New Orleans without knowing that. I really apologize, but nothing nothing we could do about the about the Hill injury and, you know, the Saints obviously could have won the game uh, a number of different ways. But back to business. 30 to 20 Tampa Bay. The Bucks had basically the worst start you could possibly have. Uh, a three and out punt. Not only that, the punt gets returned inside their own 20. 
Now, a few positives you could take from a Buccaneers angle at this point. Uh, they were getting really good movement up front on the line of scrimmage. I thought a story of the game would be that the Saints could stop the Bucks' run game in base without adding that extra defender into the box. And you could tell early on that that wasn't going to be the case. The Bucks couldn't just sit in too high uh, without any creative insertions into the box and, and stop the run. That, that was a major red flag early on. Um, the other positive is actually what you could take by being put in a sudden change situation. You know, Saints starting the game on your own 20, you just went three and out. This is sudden change. This is an opportunity to respond. Right now, you can stake your claim that you're going to stick around for 60 minutes. If you let the Saints waltz into the end zone here and, and get seven on the board right off the bat, major indicator that there's going to be problems. Sure enough, the Bucks defense, despite, in spite, I should say, of a, of a terrible call on a late hit to give the, the Saints a first and goal, uh, they, they still end up holding to a field goal. So 3 nothing, really no harm done at this point. Um, a couple sort of, uh, non, non exciting drives later get us to six, three, uh, saints, saints have the ball now deep in their own territory. And this is when the game really turns when breeze throws the pick six, well, virtual pick six, he took it back to the three yard line. Um, saints punch it in on the very first play. I mean, I'm sorry. Bucks punch it in on the very first play on that cool little uh, slant route to Evans. Not sure what you would call that route. He sort of took a step to the corner ball and then just cut it inside. Uh, a, a nice goal line play. Brady put it on the money. Evans came down with it. Him and Lattimore went at it all day. But I think scoring on that first play of sudden change, again, their second opportunity put in that spot where they came out victorious. Bucks 10 6. Uh, kind of. Now you can tell they're going to start to take a little bit of control of this football game. Now, Saints next drive. Uh, like I said, Bucks are really about to grasp the momentum. Um, this drive is extended by a really, really bullshit penalty. Uh, I, I did not think it should be called. There was a hold in the slot. If anything, it should have been a five-yard penalty, which still would have been a first down, but it wouldn't have resulted in a chunk play. It is what it is. They get a 22-yard gain on the penalty. The next play, Sean Payton dials up the trick play that the Bears ran against him last week. Uh, Jameis goes up top for the touchdown, 13-10 to Saints. Um, they're out in front, but there's still some tension. I mean, that play did settle things down a bit, but at this point, as someone who backed the Saints, I was not all that comfortable yet. Uh, next drive, Bucks get into a third and one. Uh, they kind of get a little greedy in my estimation and throw the football. They were winning the line of scrimmage, but they decide to, to get cute, like I said. They, they try to hit a deep slot fade ball against man coverage, which was the right read, but just the coverage was too good. Actually, it was picked off, but the, the defender landed out of bounds. So the Bucks go three and out. Um, and now you get into, again, one of those late first half critical situations. I believe there's about six minutes to go. The Saints are going to get the ball at halftime. It's super, super, super critical to not let the Saints bleed this clock and score and then double up in the third quarter. So this is one of those moments uh, that defines their season, similar to what we talked about in the previous game. Now, 
Where am I? I'm sorry. One second. Eventually, the Bucks do get a stop here. The drive kind of stalls around midfield. Bucks get the ball back deep in their own territory, just north of the two-minute warning. Again, still critical situation time because you can't go three now too quick and give the ball back, but you also do want points. Um, very critical spot. They have a third and seven uh, just south of the two-minute warning where if they don't convert, the Saints are going to get the ball back with good field position and plenty of time. Sure enough, Brady finds the correct check down to Fournette, who was huge in this game. And he's played really well in some big playoff games in his career. I, I, th- I think back to his days at Jacksonville, he seems to be a bit of a gamer. And I think, I think he f- compliments Brady uh, really well. Anyway, they hit Fournette. He, get, he converts. And they eventually march down the rest of the field, kick a field goal at the buzzer, which is fine. Would they have preferred... Six, of course, but ending with three and not giving the Saints the ball back, I think, is a, is a huge victory. So 13-13 at the half. Now pressure has been squarely applied on the Saints. Remember, the Saints haven't played well at home in these big spots uh, the last few years. They've had some ugly losses against the Rams, against the Vikings. Um, everyone kind of knew this was Breeze's last rodeo. I just think the pressure when this thing got to the half tied was a lot for New Orleans. And that being said, the Saints get the ball to start the third quarter, and this is their bread and butter. They're always extremely lethal uh, out of the half because the plays are scripted. They march right down the field. Uh, Carlton Davis, the nickel corner for the Bucks, got dinged up, had to miss a play. Uh, Sean doesn't miss a beat. They go slot fade on the guy who was, who was replacing Carlton Davis make the play for a touchdown, uh, really nice nice ball by Breeze, 20-13. Uh, to 13. So, game on. Saints have the lead. Let's see what the Bucks have. Bucks surprisingly on offense here don't answer. And th- that is one thing that is alarming to me. Leftwich, I think, has been a little bit poor in opening drives and third-quarter drives. Those scripted drives have not been great. Again, let Tom run this ship. He, he steer this ship. He has a feel of the offense. I still think there's a slight divide between the coaching staff and Brady's vision of what the offense needs to be. That's neither here nor there at this point. Uh, the bottom line is the Bucks didn't answer offensively. Now the Saints get it, you know, mid-late third quarter with a chance to extend the lead. I almost thought as a Saints better that this was a must-score situation. The longer this stayed a one-score game, I thought Tampa Bay had a really great chance. Um they start driving. They have another drive, another third down, I'm sorry, bailed out on a very poor penalty call. They called the legal hands to the face. Nowhere near the ball. It was a press coverage from a corner. He sort of glanced the face mask. I think you have to swallow the whistle on that spot. They didn't. They bailed him out. And then the biggest play of the game occurs. It was the, the, the slant ball to, to Jared Cook. He's rumbling down the field, holding the ball like a loaf of bread. And sure enough... Antoine Winfield Jr., the rook out of Minnesota, punches, secures the tackle. I mean, just teach tape stuff. Secures the tackle, punches the football with the off arm, and because of the Bucks' elite pursuit, and that's a point I wanted to make earlier, actually. The, I thought the Bucks' defense pursued the football really, really well. I was encouraged by that. Anyway, and Winfield punches the ball loose. Devin White jumps on it, gets a really nice return. Bucks are set up with a short field. They convert for six. We're tied up again. Um, now this is two turnovers. 
already you can see the tension is reaching uh, all-time highs on the Saints sideline. Uh, Breeze has seen this script before, and you could sort of tell uh, what was going to happen from here, at least in my eyes, in the in the rewatch especially, not necessarily in, in real time. Um, the Buccaneers' defense is really pumped up now. They start to smell blood in the water. They get a three and out. They're getting because they got really good pressure. Everyone's kind of amped. Uh, the momentum has officially swung at this point. Uh, Bucks get the ground game rolling big time. Uh, they have a, a key third and one on their own 30 to start the fourth quarter, and they hit a 50-yarder. Now that play gets called back because of a hold. It was a hold for sure. Again, one of those plays that you could sort of call on every down, but they caught them holding third and 11. Now, when you emotionally go from basically first down on the opponent's 20 to now facing a third and 11 backed up on the road in a tie game. That That's another sudden change in my estimation. And this is when Brady hits that beautiful back shoulder to Ty Johnson on the sideline, the other rookie out of Minnesota, who sort of is has been very quiet this year, although anytime he has seen action, he's been exceptional. He's a guy that they need to use more uh, going forward. They just have too many weapons right now. Anyway, they hit Johnson on the back shoulder ball to convert that big third and long. Um, Eventually, they hit Scotty Miller on another third down. They sort of churn some clock and end up settling for three to go up 23-20. Six would have been ideal, but that Saints defense is good, and, and, you know, they buckled in the red zone – they held up a little bit better against the run because those two two high safeties are now automatically inserted into the box. So red zone is going to be tough against the Saints. That's one of the reasons why I didn't love the Bucks coming into this game. Um, 23-20, about eight minutes to go. The, the Saints, you know, their season is about to be defined by these next couple drives. And the wheels, unfortunately, come off. This is when the interception parade started. Um, Kamara either ran the wrong route, made a bad read, or Breeze made a bad read. Devin White again jumps into that sort of hook curl window. Kamara ran a seam instead. Ball gets picked. Now the Bucks running game absolutely goes to work. They're in four-minute offense the rest of the way. They're pounding the rock. Um, when the numbers count is against them, Brady's checking to a pass, and that's there too. They hit Gronk on some quick ones. Uh, they sort of matriculate these 35, 40 yards and bleed clock, punch it in with a touchdown to go up 30 to 20. And really, to me, you know, that that was ball game. You knew, you knew the Saints weren't going to be able to have a heroic comeback. The Bucks were going to play man under too deep. Breeze can't scramble. He can't stretch the field. There were just no plays to be made. And another interception eventually sealed their fate. I thought the Bucks really finished this game in a strong way. Uh, I, I liked the clip of them being in victory formation. Uh, Brady takes that final knee and looks into the offensive lineman's eyes. I don't know if anyone else caught this or if it's been publicized, but Tom said, I love you guys to his offensive lineman. And he goes, but well, we got a lot of fucking work to do. So already, this is just the elite alpha male, CB12. He's been this down this road before. Uh, he knows there's a lot of work left to be done. And he's already instilling that in some of his young guys. Um, in terms of, so basically that, that was an extremely long-winded way of saying I think the, the Bucks' performance was not dressed up. I think they, they had a tough football game and, and they proved 
a lot of things to me that I wasn't sure they could do, specifically defensively, how well they pursued the football, and on offense, how good their ground game was. Uh, so I think their their performance is dirtied up, if anything, whereas the, the, the Packers are a bit dressed up. That alone gives me, in my opinion, value against public perception. I'll take the three and a half points. I'll take the plus 160 on the money line. I'm very confident in this game. I love the Bucks. They also may be getting Vita Vea back, who hasn't played since October with a knee injury. Um, he's been a full go at practice. Uh, just completed a walkthrough the other day. Uh, he could be a huge difference maker. He's actually the highest graded defensive player on their roster and the highest overall player, second behind Tom Brady, of course. Uh, Brady is graded out, by the way, by Pro Football Focus as the number two quarterback in the NFL this year, which is pretty remarkable stuff. Anyway, if they can get Vea back, this is a perfect game for him, too. Uh, they need some run stuffers in the middle. They looked a little bit light in the ass and small in the defensive line. I think they could use some beef up front to, to really counter LaFleur's uh, running game. So I'm not going to get too much into the specific matchup only because, you know, we broke down both games in so much detail. But, you know, the fact that these teams met once already, the fact that the Bucks overcame 10-zip to win 38-10, and they kind of unlocked a secret to how to play against Green Bay, and that's blitz. I, I think this game, they won't sit back. I think they're going to be in a lot of the different disguised blitzes that really gave Green Bay fits in the opener. Rodgers, as good as he is, and... Uh, I guess I'm technically a Rodgers hater, although I respect the shit out of him and think he's a Hall of Famer, first ballot, obviously. Um, his strength is not quickly identifying coverages. Like He he wants to play backyard football, get out of the pocket, find someone open, and then un- unleash that howitzer uh, in stride. And the Bucks are not going to allow that. I think they're going to play a lot of press man. I think they're going to zone blitz a lot. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at him, and that really bothered him in the first matchup. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do that this time. And the answer to that is the run game. But again, if the Bucks get Vea back, I don't see the Packers just running it at will. Um, Tampa's linebacker has been playing really well. I just think it's a really good spot for the Bucks, and, and I think they're going to get the job done outright on the road. So that's the NFC game. Game two is the... 640 traditional slot on CBS. One second. And the Chiefs are three-point favorites at home against Buffalo. Total 53 and a half. Uh, Weather, high 30s, low 40s. There are some gusty winds forecasted. Uh, I don't know if there'll be anything like the wind we saw in the previous Buffalo game, but something to keep an eye on. Uh, I do think Kansas City is more balanced than multiple offensively. I think if the Bills are forced into a situation where they have to run the ball, that's a, a major problem for them, as you kind of saw last week against Baltimore. But I'm going to go a little different tact here. I'm not going to break down the sequences from those previous two games. I'm sure some of you are happy about that. It was a little dry, admittedly, but that just was my process, and I wanted you to get uh, a firsthand access to it. Um now, these two met, ironically, one day after the Bucks played the Packers back in October, and they played on October 19th. The Chiefs pulled off a 26-17 victory, a hard-earned victory, a game where I really 
became even more fond of Eric Bieniemy because the Chiefs had lost the previous game to Oakland. Uh, their offense was not playing well. They just played a kind of a crappy offensive game against New England the week before that even. And they were just not executing on all cylinders. You know, the, their highlight was week four when they pounded the Ravens. And after that, offensively, they kind of rested on their laurels a bit. And Biennemi lit laid into them on the sideline multiple times in this game. And I, and I think what he was talking about was how Buffalo was choosing to defend them. And they played too high the entire game to every look. A light box. They said, Chiefs, please, God, run the football. We were we are not letting you throw the ball downfield. And I think the Biennemi took that as a challenge. And he really challenges offensive line. And I think that was one of the better games their offensive line played. That was a really fun football game. It was a it was a random like weekday game, COVID's uh, slash replacement schedule. I don't know. It might have been a may have been a Tuesday afternoon or a Wednesday. It was one of those games early in the season that was not in a normal time slot. So it was a standalone. Uh, it was a really fun game, kind of shitty weather game too, if I remember correctly. Uh, but but the Chiefs ran it down their throat. And defensively, I thought the Chiefs had a really good plan against Buffalo. Um, they mixed it up well. You know, defensively, you can't give Josh Allen the same looks. Uh, they blitzed possibly a little too much for my liking, but that that's sort of their that's Spagnolo's that that's his way. You know, when everything's in doubt, uh, he he's gonna send the crib. Just briefly to touch on their previous games, because like I said, I don't think the opponents are too relevant going forward, but I was so impressed with the ability of Chad Henney to have basically full access to the offensive playbook. You know, a lot of times when the backup comes in, you only have a handful of, you know, really plays that you're comfortable with running. Uh, You know, two reasons for that that they were so prepared. Obviously, they played Henny the week before because they, they benched Mahomes uh, to rest him, but I, I do not think that had any really uh, contribution significantly to Henny's success as much as the media does. I think their work ethic, the, the way they practice, the way they prepare, I think Biennemi and Reed had had Henny ready to go. Clearly, he they ran the full offense. He made some huge throws down the stretch. Uh, he, he did throw the pick, which is just very symbolic of his entire career. He's he's a gutsy player. He's a gunslinger. He'll do stuff that makes you say, wow, that was awesome. But then he just has a bonehead play uh, one time too many probably every game or else he would have been a starting quarterback for a long time because he has the arm strength and the toughness to do it. Uh, anyway, just super impressed with uh, with the Chiefs' ability on offense to not really skip a beat once Pat went down. Um, I can't really talk too much about the Mahomes injury. I'm not a doctor, but hey, he is practicing in full. To me, that means he's full go. Uh, I, I think the Chiefs at minus three are pretty good value if as long as Mahomes is playing. I think this line will continue to float up as more and more people are confident that he's going to play. Anyway, before we get into the p- prediction, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Bills. Now, the Ravens game was kind of a bizarre football game, if you ask me. The, the, the wind was so out of control that, you know, r- routine deep balls were just almost impossible to hit. You actually saw it with, with, with uh, Huntley in the fourth quarter for the Ravens. 
they, they had a double move wide open that could have made it a one-score game, and the wind just drifted the ball. It happened multiple times. It happened to, to Josh Allen on digs on a deep ball at one point. But I was actually a little discouraged about the Bills offensively in this game. I thought Dable was a little bit too stuck in the we-do-what-we-do type mode and airing it out. They only ran the ball once in the first half. I understand that the uh, the, the modern era of football, the teams are pass first, but to me that's a disgusting display, especially in those conditions. You could tell the Ravens after the first drive had no answers uh, offensively, so why not control the game and get that offensive line some credit? You know, the Bills started the second half pounding the rock, and Feliciano, one of their offensive linemen, he was so fired up and pumping up the sideline and, like, fist-pumping and almost telling the sideline, see, I told you we could run the ball on these guys. It's like that offensive line was imploring. No one wants to pass block for 70 reps a game. Like, let's pound it a little bit. Uh, I know they were down at running back. All they had was Singletary and Yeldon for a couple plays, but I just thought the the Bills took a little too long to, to realize that the weather was an impact and they needed to get the ball on the ground. Um... The Ravens, geez, I mean, we're at a point with Baltimore, to me personally, that I think they probably need to blow it up if they want to, if their goal is the big prize. You know, they could be very good every year, but man, I don't know if this style can go the distance unless they have just a super elite offensive line. They lost some guys this year with to retirement and injury that really killed them up front, but unless you could just absolutely dominate the line of scrimmage and play almost like Army-style football, I don't think that they're going to have enough firepower to uh, to go the distance. So kind of discouraging effort out of the Ravens. Uh, again, the Ravens' opening drive was their sharpest drive of the game. They were gashing them for 10, 12 yards a pop. Um but it seems like that opening script has been the Ravens' best drive a few times this year, not necessarily against the Titans. But in a bunch of games I watched, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Romans has a, such a vast uh, series of runs in his playbook that I'm not sure how much they're actually practicing each play during the week. It's almost like I understand that the opening script is probably the stuff that they liked best in the week of practice, but the other stuff, I don't know if they're running it enough. I think the repetitions are just lacking. Um, they don't play as fast as the game goes on. They don't adjust well. It's almost like the first sign of adversity offensively when they say, you know, screw it, we got to go to the air. Then they're, they become a team that's in real trouble. Uh, as far as the Bills' outlook going forward from this game, 17-3 looks pretty pedestrian. Nice win. Tucker did miss two field goals, which never happens. Uh, the pick in the end zone, 101-yard return. That's a high-variance play. I'm not going to discredit the Bills for that because turnovers are, are earned and coached. They're not luck. But the fact that he went 101 yards w- was a little, little crazy to me. And Huntley, after Lamar went down, did miss a a surefire touchdown. So at worst, this should have been a 17-10 game. I think the Bills are slightly dressed up. I actually do not think they've played all that well this postseason. Um, Stylistically, how how do they match up with Kansas City? And and bear with me, I'm sort of hashing this out in real time as I I formulate an opinion on this game. Um, 
Bills are going to have to air it out. You know, the, the Chiefs are not dominant in the run game, but they have three or four defensive tackles that are going to win their one-on-ones. So it's not going to just be open season on the ground. And if this wind uh, rears its ugly head again, which right now I'm seeing gusts uh, upwards of 25 miles an hour, that could be a big deal. Obviously, Josh Allen has a cannon, so he can cut through that wind. But on some of those deep balls or touch passes, it could be a problem. Um, The Chiefs tackle well, uh, especially in the secondary I think the Honey Badger has become really one of my favorite players in the league. He He's just oozing talent. Now, he's not overly dominant in any area, but his football IQ and his sense of urgency, like he, he treats this like he's a senior in high school playing his last game. Like that's the level of passion he comes with every week. This is not a job to him. This is... This is a way of life, and I see that sort of leak and bleed through the rest of the Chiefs' defense, which is pretty special uh, to have in the NFL, and I think this Chiefs' defense is very underrated. The Browns were a tough assignment last week. The Browns can really pound the rock. Um, thought it was a good effort from the Chiefs. I didn't think they sagged at all defensively when Mahomes got hurt, uh, from an emotional standpoint at least. Yes, the Browns strung together some drives, uh, but that's just because the Browns are a good football team. You know, they were winning the line of scrimmage on a pretty consistent basis. They hit some bootleg crossers, uh, but when push came to shove, you know, the Browns got the ball back with a chance to go win the football game with five minutes to go, and the Chiefs ended up getting a TFL on a, uh, a gap scheme run play, and they eventually got off the field. That set up the uh, masterful Henny scramble on third and 14, third and 15, I'm sorry, and then the balls on top of balls, fourth down, fake that we're not going to snap it. But wait, we actually are going to snap it. Quick hitter to Tyree Kill to win the ball game. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on quickly, I, I think the Browns' strategy of sort of shortening the game um, needed to be aborted once Mahomes got hurt. I think the tempo and pace they took on their first touchdown drive and then how they treated their next drive thereafter was still under the assumption of we we can't give the ball back to Kansas City like we want to end punching this thing in the end zone I think they should have tried to lengthen the game once that happened you know if that if that the more snaps from that point on the the Browns were probably the better football team and I thought that was a little bit of a lack of an in-game subtle adjustment that the Browns needed to make they needed to kind of throw everything out the window once Mahomes went down, and let's speed this game up. Let's get as many reps in as we can now that we're on level footing because they sort of made it about two drives, and at that point, you know, and anything that goes wrong is going to cost you the game. And eventually, that is what happened. Circling back quickly to the Bills' defense, um, you know, they're very fast and athletic, and I think when they have excelled, it's against one-dimensional teams, sort of when they can dictate instead of read and react. Uh, they were dominant at times against the Ravens because they knew what was coming. They've looked good against teams that only throw it because they knew what was coming. Against teams that are balanced, that motion a lot, that make you think and react. Uh, the Colts, for example, I didn't think the Bills played a, a strong defensive game there. If you go all the way back early in the season against the Rams, they played a really poor defensive game. They weren't great against Kansas City first time around. Uh, I think this Bills defense 
uh, balance is a big issue for them because they're a little bit small, a little bit undersized. They like to be the one dictating the flow. If you can keep them on their heels, I don't think they're stout enough in any particular area to, to pose a major threat to the Chiefs. So I'm going to back Kansas City at Arrowhead here. I'm going to lay the three points. I'm going to take a money line. Uh, I think it's a it's a fun game, but I do think Kansas City gets the job done. So just in summary, as far as the plays for this week, first game I like the Bucks getting three and a half. I like the Bucks money line. You, you can get them anywhere between 150 and plus 165. Uh, at this point, and Chiefs sort of the inverse of that. I've seen sort of minus 150, minus 160, also laying the three points. So I'm going to double dip both teams outright and with the points and uh, look forward to an awesome Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Talk to you guys before that.